Hello, I'm Dr. Roger Henderson, and I'm a GP in Southwest Scotland, and I also co-host the GP Notebook study groups. Welcome to this GP Notebook podcast, where we discuss bite-sized topics aimed at all those working in primary care. You can find us on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. So do please follow us to receive notifications about new episodes, and if you like what you hear, do please consider leaving a review to help other listeners find us. You can also follow us on Twitter at GP Notebook for more information about new podcast episodes and study groups, and I'm on there as well, at Roger the Doctor. Finally, you can visit gpnotebook.com for podcast episode show notes and to find out more about upcoming study group meetings. Now, in this episode, I'm going to be having a brief look at some of the key points on obsessive-compulsive disorder. But we're going to be covering this topic in much more depth at our GP Notebook study group online meetings, so do please consider coming along to one of these if you'd like to hear more. In fact, we're running the OCD session as part of our meetings on the 23rd and 24th of January 2024, and then again later in the year. So I do hope that we'll see you at some of those. So what is OCD? Well, essentially, this is a problem characterised by the presence of obsessions or compulsions, but often both. Obsessions are unwanted, intrusive thoughts, images or urges, often unpleasant, that repeatedly cross someone's mind, whereas compulsions are repetitive rituals, behaviours or mental acts that a person feels driven to do. Now, these compulsions can be covert, such as repeating a phrase in your mind that no one else is aware of, or overt, that other people can see. And the common ones here are things like repeatedly checking whether a door's been locked or a light has been switched off. We think up to about 3% of adults and 2% of people under the age of 18 may be affected by OCD, but it is almost certainly underdiagnosed and underreported, partly because of the shame involved in some people with OCD that they feel in reporting the problems they have. The peak age of onset is typically between about 15 and 25, but it can occur at any age, and I've personally seen it um, happen in people in their 50s and 60s. And a startling fact is that the World Health Organization now ranks OCD as one of the 10 most handicapping conditions by lost income and decreased quality of life. The etiology is very multifactorial. Things like genetics are undoubtedly involved, and twin studies have been very good at showing this, along with personality traits and social isolation or bullying or teasing as a child as well as child abuse or neglect. Pregnancy and the postnatal period can also be dangerous times for OCD, and brain trauma, or in later life, space-occupying lesions and frontal dementia can be factors as well. The diagnostic criteria for OCD are that obsessions and or the compulsions must be present for a minimum of one hour a day and originate in the mind. They've got to be unpleasant and repetitive, and at least one of them must appear excessive or unreasonable 
to the person with them, and the sufferer must try and resist them, and at least one obsession or compulsion can't be resisted. If an obsessive thought or a compulsive action is carried out, it doesn't cause any pleasure. That's an important point. And often, social and individual functioning is heavily affected, usually linked to time-wasting activities. Now, there are multiple differentials here. I'm not going to go through all of these in any great detail, but we've got to remember things like generalised anxiety disorder, depression, phobias, including social phobias, alcohol abuse, and eating disorders. And eating disorders may actually present with OCD in this way. Body dysmorphic disorder is also something we're increasingly aware of here. It can be tricky to identify patients with OCD. So ask groups at risk about this, such as those with eating disorders, depression and anxiety, body dysmorphic disorder, as I say, and substance and alcohol abuse. The questions to think about to open the conversations are things like, do you check things a lot? Do you wash or clean a lot? Do the activities that you have take a long time to finish each day and you have thoughts that bother you and which you'd like to get rid of, but you can't? Are you upset by mess or untidiness? And do you have to put things in a special order? And if you can't, how do you feel? Assessing severity can be difficult, and I think this is one of the situations where a scale can be really helpful. And I like to use the Yale-Brown obsessive-compulsive scale. And the link to this is on the podcast show notes that accompany this episode. Always look for any comorbidities. Always assess self-harm risk. And aim for continuity of care to avoid multiple repeated assessments by different healthcare professionals on that one patient. The management in adults always involves a specialist multidisciplinary team offering age-appropriate care. And that's the nice recommendations. And if we look at mild, moderate and severe functional impairment in turn, then with mild functional impairment, the first-line treatment is always psychological intervention. And I'm thinking IAPT, for it be a good example of this. Individual CBT plus exposure and response prevention, or ERP, is a good combination as well. Now, what ERP does is it repeatedly exposes that patient to the situation causing them anxiety, but they're prevented from performing repetitive actions when exposed to that situation. Now, this can obviously increase their anxiety before then settling it down. Remote individual CBT and ERP has been shown to be effective. There may also be group CBT, and if the person with OCD is in a long-term relationship, then consider couples-based courses. Now, if the response to these psychological interventions is poor, then consider adding more therapy hours in or go to an SSRI. If we go to moderate functional impairment, then we have high-intensity CBT and ERP or an SSRI. With severe functional impairment, again, we have high-intensity psychological therapy plus an SSRI. Now, the management for children is similar, but I would always say 
that you should get specialist help involved sooner rather than later in children. For bile dysfunction, self-help plus or minus CAMS would be the advice. And for moderate to severe dysfunction, a referral to CAMS with CBT and ERP as for adults. If you're going to consider using an SSRI in someone aged 8 to 18, only consider this after they've been assessed by a specialist psychiatrist and they should be involved with any dosage changes as well as any discontinuation. Now in children, sertraline and fluvoxamine are the only ones licensed for this use unless depression coexists, in which case fluoxetine can be used. And in children, SSRIs should only be prescribed in conjunction with CBT. If we look at SSRIs and OCD in a bit more, uh, bit more detail, then always remember to be careful in people with depression because of the increased risk of suicidal thoughts and self-harm. And if you've got a high-risk patient, monitor that patient very closely in the early weeks of using the SSRI. Prescribe limited quantities only and monitor them for restlessness and increased anxiety and suicidal ideation. Always tell them as well that with an SSRI, OCD symptoms may take up to 12 weeks to start improving. Which SSRI should you use? Well, to be honest, you pay your money and you take your choice. There are no obvious significant differences in efficacy of SSRIs in OCD. And I suggest five, which are fluoxetine, citalopram, sertraline, paroxetine, and fluvoxamine. And if you've got no response to standard doses of any of those, then check for compliance and titrate up to the maximum dose, monitoring the patient always when you're changing their dosages. A long course is always needed with people with OCD. Always continue for at least 12 months from remission. And when you start to discontinue them, remember that withdrawal symptoms may occur. Unfortunately, about 50% of people treated with an SSRI for OCD have an incomplete response. Now, in those cases, first of all, make sure that the dose is optimal and that they've been taking it for long enough. You can try a different SSRI, although NICE say it will make no difference. There's no evidence that the efficacy is different. My observations are that in some people with OCD, changing the SSRI can have a significant beneficial effect. But if an SSRI just doesn't work full stop, then consider alternatives. Clomipramine is often used in these situations, but do remember tricyclic side effects? And as always with tricyclics, do a baseline ECG and check that person's blood pressure before starting a low dose and then titrating upwards. Specialists sometimes add an antipsychotic, such as aripiprazole, but sedation is a common side effect with these drugs in my experience. Finally, if you've got really chronic, severe OCD dysfunction, you may need to consider intensive inpatient therapy. And an emerging option when OCD is resistant to all treatments, anterior capsulotomy neurosurgery can be considered if all else has failed, but this is rare. So I do hope you found that quick overview about OCD helpful, and also that we'll see you at the study groups 
where we'll be discussing this in more detail. Do please have a look at the show notes that accompany this episode at gpnotebook.com and we'd be very grateful if you'd consider following the podcast and leaving us a review on your favourite podcast platform. Do feel free to get in touch via social media at gpnotebook or email us support at gpnotebook.com if you have any questions, comments or ideas for future podcasts. You should also visit us at gpnotebook.com to register for our virtual GP Notebook study groups and download free resources and shortcuts to help improve the lives of our patients in primary care. But as always, until the next time, thank you for listening and goodbye. <laughs>